0: Greetings to all God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph, we're now in Lesson 16. And we shall proceed from where we left last time in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 6. We read that, uh, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And last time we were talking about the analogy of the lion that is couching. And waiting for the prey to devour it by roaring and terrorizing it and then pouncing on it. And in essence, we're talking uh, more intimately here not only about the sin itself, not only about the wrong action, but a spirit being that enters into what is called later on the children of disobedience. And now we're talking about number three. Originally, there were Adam and Eve. They allowed Satan into their presence, not only to stand next to them, but also into their own minds. They allowed him to have an intimate knowledge of their own thoughts, of their own feelings. And they communicated with him, at least Eve did. Uh, Cain did, uh, I mean, Adam did not. But Eve passed on that information to Adam, and he too was infected by the same spirit, by the same mind. And he believed the part of the, of the, of the lie that you eat and you don't die, because you saw the reality in Eve. Well, they did not resist the devil. And they had a relationship with him. And so now Abel is going the other way. He's going to follow God God all the way. And he's developing a different spirit, a different attitude. And so he was accepted in his sacrifices. And it's very interesting that we don't read here that in the process of time that both the parents, Adam and Eve, and uh, both of them must have been working also, not only Adam, I mean, he was working in the field, and I'm sure that she, she was helping to one point or another, one degree or the other, but they did not bring any offering that is recorded here. Maybe they did, but it's not recorded here. Maybe there were another issue at this point. Maybe God wanted to talk only about what happened between Cain and Abel, but in either case, you know, they're not recorded as uh, uh, bringing sacrifice to God. But Cain, following in the footsteps, so to speak, of uh, his father, Adam killing the ground like his father, he ends up bringing that sacrifice that also, along with it, came a wrong attitude, and therefore his sacrifice was not accepted. And so he did not develop a relationship with God, and in other words, when the shepherd, or when the person that prepares the lamb of the Passover before the sacrifice, he developed a relationship with those creatures. I mean, they're not human beings, and you can talk to them in the same way you can talk to human beings, but at least you can have a form of a relationship with an animal. You can talk to a dog, you can play with a dog, you can do all kinds of things like that, with a lamb, obviously, to a lesser degree, but at least you talk to them, they listen to you, they follow you, they go here, they go there, and you develop a relationship with them, a partial relationship, and there is affection, there are feelings, and then you take that uh, lamb or that sacrifice that is now a sacrifice, and you offer it to God. And uh, you don't have the same relationship when you take a fruit or when you take uh, something uh, from, the, from the tree, an olive or a harvest. And so Abel found himself in a different relationship with God because his emotions were also involved in the sacrifice Well the emotions of uh, Cain obviously were not attached to the fruit that he offered or whatever vegetables he offered. And so it was a different thing there. Uh, you can see differences in attitude there. But in either case, Cain is not accepted. He allows Satan to enter into him. He is not just like the Apostle Paul later on would say, being aware of the devices of the devil. He is ignorant of his devices and so he allows him in. And he may not even realize it. And to what degree he realizes that, I don't know. But he realizes that his attitude is not right, that he is angry, that he is hateful, and that he has a wrong relationship with his brother. That much he should realize. That things are not going well between him and his brother. And so his sacrifice is not accepted, that of his brother is. And he's not resisting the debt of Satan, but he's entering into it. And so he's having a relationship with him. And so God is telling him, that if you do not do well, these are the consequences. You're going to know instead of me, you're going to know in an intimate way the debt of Satan. And you see it written all over your mind, all over your actions. That's why I cannot accept you. And so he says, if you do well, you're not going to have the devil who is like a roaring lion trying to devour you. You're going to be able to resist him. And so, his sacrifice was not good enough for God because of that. As we read later on in Hebrews, in in chapter 11, verse 4, that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than that of Cain. It was a matter of an attitude, and it was also a matter of a wrong relationship that Cain had, and therefore his sacrifice was not accepted. And in 1 John uh, chapter 3, and verse 12, we read that Cain was of that wicked one, speaking specifically about the devil. In other words, he allowed Satan to enter into him. When Adam and Eve were confronted by God, who came to the Garden of Eden after they ate the fruit, and then they were into hiding, because they, were, they realized they were naked, he asked, where are you? In other words, he gave them an opportunity to come out and confess. That's in essence what he was saying. It's not that he didn't know where they are. It was a spiritual question. Where are you in your state of mind? Where did he go? How come you departed from me? And both of them, they did not come back in resentment, but like little children, caught. In something bad they've done, they're they're trying to look for excuses. Well, well, you know, um, she made me do it, or he made me do it, whatever. With Cain, we see even worse than that, as we shall read later. He had a totally different attitude that went far beyond what Adam and Eve had at that point. He allowed the death of Satan. He already had a relationship with him for a while. To the point where he was full of anger, full of bitterness. And he was not willing to accept the reason why God rejected his sacrifice. So he was in a much much worse condition than Mother Eve, his mother, and his father at the time when God confronted them and asked him, "Where are you?" And so God is asking uh, Cain, uh, "Why are you angry?" In other words, He gives him an opportunity. Well, think about your actions. What, what do you think made me reject your sacrifice? He gives him an opportunity to repent in His kindness and in his mercy, and in his grace toward Cain, even at that point, he still gives him an opportunity to come to realize, and to come to himself, and to come to realize what he's doing with his own mind, and that he is in the depth of Satan. And yet he was not willing to resist it. And so we read in June that he, in essence, with that attitude, began a way of life. And Jude 11 calls it the way of Cain. It's not the way of obedience. It's not the way of repentance. It's not the way of acknowledging sin. It's not the way of reconciling to his brother when he's wrong. It's not the way of giving with whole heart, but just the opposite. And that was called the way of Cain. And all those descendants that came out of Cain went in that direction, followed that way. And later on, unfortunately, even the children of the righteous Seth, the third son, of Adam and Eve, ultimately fell for that also, and apparently merged with the children of Cain to the point that God had to destroy all of them, with the exception of Noah and his family. And so this is the way of Cain that began at this point, and obviously that was already deeply in him, and thus that was the depth of Satan in him. And so God is trying to bring him out of that state of mind, and people who give in to that even though they may begin righteously as we see an example later on like with Judas an apostle that was chosen by Christ that obviously loved Christ that obviously followed Christ and believed in Christ and learned many things from Christ and and did many good things also it wasn't all bad from the beginning and yet there was something wrong in him also at the same time he allowed that spirit He allowed the depth of Satan to get very deeply into him. He became intimate with it to the point that he reached the consequence of what Cain was going to do. That is, murder his own brother. And Judas became also a murderer. First in his mind. And then not doing it himself with his own hands, but led in that direction. And in both cases... You see the same spirit behind them. And so with Judas it says, when Satan entered into his mind, it's at that point that he went and betrayed his master, and his friend, and his elder brother, and he became his murderer. And so we see exactly the same thing here. As Cain also allowed himself to that wrong spirit, he finally ultimately went to the epitome of it, to the ultimate became a murderer of his own brother. And he would not resist the devil. As Peter would say later on, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. In other words, do not let him rule over you. You rule over him by the sword of the word of God. And so that's what God is telling him. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, if you do not resist the devil... He is not going to flee from you. But sin lies at the door, just waiting for you for that moment to enter into you. And its desire, that means the desire of the epitome of what sin is, that is the devil himself, is for you. He wants to destroy you. But you should rule over it. That is, if you choose to do well, if you just choose to humble yourself and acknowledge your sin, you will rule over him. And in essence, you see here again, a very deep, profound spiritual concept. In Genesis 1.26, we read, That God told Adam and Eve, and all those who came after him, I have given you the earth, and you bear rule over it. You exercise dominion over it. But what happens when man departs from that commandment of God? Well, then man begins to have dominion over his fellow man. You see? Over his wife, in the case of Adam, that's how he began. As he said to Eve, because of what you have done now, he is going to rule over you. And it's not the kind of benevolent rule that God meant for it to be to begin with. Rulership in terms of service, but here became rulership in terms of dominion. And so God says to Adam also, and to Cain in this case, and to all of us, it's up to you to rule not only over the earth and not over your brothers, but it's up to you to rule over sin. It's up to you to rule to rule over the devil. I give you this power if you're willing to obey my voice and then he will flee from you. And so that's what he said. If you do well, you should rule over it. You're going to overcome it. In other words, if you resist the devil, you will prevail. Just like you see later on in the temptation in Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Satan himself in person with his creator and his master, where he resisted him, that is, Jesus Christ resisted the devil by using the law of God. That was the sword of God. And so Cain had the opportunity to do the same, but he did not. Every single one of us had the opportunity to do it in every single case, but we don't. In many cases, we don't. We fall under a sin, and sin has the dominion over us. And Satan has the dominion over us when we give our minds and hearts to carnality, to the weakness of the flesh. And all of us are susceptible to it from the greatest to the least. That's what the Apostle says I know what is good, that is Apostle Paul. I know that which is good, but I don't mind, find myself doing it because there is a law in me. And there is this constant law, constant battle within us. The will to do the mind of God, the desire to do the, the, the mind of God, to obey the law of God, and then the desire of the flesh that it goes in the opposite direction. And yet, God gave us the potential of rulership over ourselves, over the whole creation. And when we obey the law of God, we resist the devil and we rule over him in that sense. And he does not rule over us. And we rule over our weaknesses. And we rule over temptations. And we overcome. And that's what the ultimate is. He that shall overcome. Just like he had to overcome the devil and rule him. You see? And bear dominion over him instead of the other way around. We must overcome. As we read in, uh, in Romans also, speaking about sin. From a man that has, oh, that has intimately known, uh, that is new, both ways of sin and righteousness. And he tells the people that listen to him. There are people who don't listen. There are the people within the church that don't listen. Yet others listen. But to the people that do listen, to the disciples, he says in chapter 6 and verses 12 and 14, Do not let sin reign or rule over you, but you rule over it. And that's exactly the same message that you find here, from the beginning. You see, as again I mentioned earlier, God never changes. His teachings are always the same. It's not Old Testament, New Testament teachings. They're all exactly the same. The spirit of the law was from the beginning. It's just there is a different administration. and certain things that you do at one time and you don't do it another time. But the law remains the same. It's one law from the beginning until the end. That's why God says you shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And by the way, when Jesus Christ made that statement, there was no such a thing as New Testament. As a matter of fact, even the apostles did not know that they are writing New Testament. They just knew that they are alone with the Master, magnifying the law that was there all along. This is what they preached. Had they not had the book of the law and the prophets and the writings, Jesus Christ always referred to it. He never called it the Old Testament. And he's not calling his teaching the New Testament. He just said, as it is written uh, of me, in the law, in the writings. In the Psalms. You see, and that's the way his mind is from the beginning until the end. And so that's what Paul is telling them about the same words, in essence, that God told uh, that he's came. He told him the same thing. And I'm sure he told Adam and Eve the same thing. It's up to you to rule over the devil. Don't let him. And I'm sure that he had many conversations with them later on to try to help them to continue still to walk with them. After all, Abel, where did he know how to serve God? and how to bring sacrifices to God, unless Mother Eve and Adam taught Him. So, they were not all totally out of the way. They still maintained a measure of righteousness, that just did not restore totally the relationship with God. And to what degree they walked with God, only God knows. Well, at this point, this is where we find ourselves. In Genesis 1.26, as I mentioned before that, man was to have dominion over the creation, over self, over sin. Over the devil. And that's what God is telling Cain. If you are willing to do that, you shall rule over him. And yet this is not what he chose to do. And this is not what humanity chose to do. They developed the way of Cain. And that's why Christ told his disciples in Matthew 20, verse 25, he said to his disciples, The rulers of the Gentiles exercise dominion and authority. Just like Cain, their father, spiritually speaking, but such shall not be among you. In other words, the children of light should not walk like the children of darkness. And whenever you see people in our midst who love to exercise dominion and authority over the faith of others, you are seeing children of darkness who walk in the way of Cain. When God, our Creator, our own Savior and Redeemer, our personal Savior, said, such shall not be among you. It's a direct command that is being disobeyed and has been disobeyed for the past 2,000 years by many who exalted themselves and abased others so they can have dominion and authority over them. And I'm not talking about the right kind of rule, the right kind of service, the right kind of leading people to God and to the light. So, you have to know the difference, not totally forsake everything, but know the difference. But those who exercise dominion and authority, that's what I'm talking about. Not everybody does that, but many do, unfortunately. And so he says, the rulers of the Gentiles exercise dominion and authority. And yet, God told us, exercise dominion and authority over the earth, over sin, over Satan, not over each other. And that's exactly what Cain was going through. That's why this conversation takes place. That's why his sacrifice was being rejected. That's why he did what he did later on, as we should continue to read. And so, Christ told his disciples later on, because they never learned it. Men never learned it, as he should. And so he says, don't rule like the Gentiles over each other. In Matthew 23 and verse 8, he says, do not be called rabbi, master. In other words, spiritually speaking, don't exalt yourself in calling yourself the master, the author of truth and of light. And then have followers after you instead of after God. Now, if you stand up and you open the book of the law and you teach the word of God, you are not the master, you are not the teacher, God is. All you're doing is you're reading the Word of God and you're expounding it. That's a totally different category. And you're a teacher in one sense, but you are not the teacher. You're not the author of authority. And do not go to people and tell them, Well, God said to me, the Lord said to me, or God speaks only through me, and so forth. You see, you're just teaching what God teaches in His Word. That's okay. God appointed teachers and gives us the gift of teaching for that purpose. But people that exalt themselves and bear dominion and authority over others, and that's their ultimate motive for power and money, covetousness, greed for lucre, so to speak. And he says, don't call yourself rabbi. Don't call yourself master, because one is your master, and that is the Messiah. But all of you are brethren. And it, what kind of terminology developed in the past two thousand years? One calls himself the master, the ruler, the leader—all kind of other names that so they invent. And for the brethren, what do they call them? Lay members. What do you mean, lay members? Other people, you, you lay all, you know, you just lay on the ground and you walk all over them. What does it mean, lay members? Where in the Bible do we find this terminology? No, we find it in the terminology of the fallen church of Revelation 17, where their ultimate way of rule and government is to exercise dominion and authority over others. And so they exalt themselves and humble others and walk all over them. And they don't mind now and then even killing them, persecuting them, putting them uh, on a pile of uh, food and burning them to death. You see, in the name of God they do it. And that's what God is telling Cain. That's the way you are walking. And so in Matthew 23, verse 8, he says, Don't call anybody your rabbi. Don't let anybody get to that position when he exercises dominion and authority over your faith. Lead you to truth. It's one thing. Serve you. Show you the way. That's one thing. But to exercise dominion and authority, terrorize you, make you afraid, step all over you, call you names like lay member, that's a problem. A spiritual problem that some people have. And he says, don't do that. Don't ever fall for that. And verse 10 he says, do not call anyone master. That means the leader. You see? Because rabbi also already means master, teacher. So he says, don't call anybody the leader. And there are some people who like to call themselves the leader. I'm the leader. What do you mean you are the leader? You are leading people to God. That's one thing. But to say that you are the leader, Christ says no. One is your leader, and he is Christ. Not man. Yet many people like to be called the leader. El Duce. And all kinds of names like that. You know, the Holy Father, and so forth. Uh, the great Peter, or the follower in the footsteps of Peter, exalting themselves. And so, he says, no, the great among you shall be your servant, not your ruler. You see? And the ruler he's talking about is the wrong kind of ruler, obviously. Nothing wrong with being a ruler if you're the right kind of ruler. There's a ruler over the synagogue. Uh, One is in charge, taking care of things. Somebody has to be in charge in the proper way. Otherwise, uh, there is anarchy. There is nothing wrong with rulership. There is nothing wrong with being leaders, you know, leading people to God. But when people exalt themselves and saying, I am the leader, when God did not exalt them, you know, they fabricate from their own mind that they, they are the leaders, That's a different story. And so God says, don't be leader. Don't make yourself a leader. And don't look to somebody else as a leader. God is your leader. You see, only God can give you salvation. Men cannot. And so, that's exactly what he's telling uh, Cain in this case. The apostles always refer to themselves as servants, not Leaders, You need not say, I'm the leader, therefore, you better do what I tell you. No, they always presented themselves, I'm a bond-servant or slave of Jesus Christ. And I'm bringing that to your attention as a servant of Christ, and so I want to serve you too in that way. Not exercise dominion and authority over you. As Paul said, well, I'm not telling you all those things because I want to exercise dominion over your faith. I have no right to do it. Uh as Peter later on also told uh, you know, the, the disciples, uh, he said, not speaking about those in position of leadership, you don't act as, as if you are the leaders, the overlords of God's people, but as shepherds. And so the apostles never called themselves servants, no the leaders, not as servants, but they didn't call themselves the leaders. Moses was called the servant of the Lord, not the leader of Israel, even though he was leading Israel under the guidance of the true leader, the real king of Israel. And so, that was important. As a matter of fact, if you remember the case, at one point, when Moses allowed things to go to his head, and when God gave him a commission, you go and speak uh, to the ark. In other words, I'll tell you what to do, I'm the master, I'm the leader, you go and do what I tell you to do, you're my servant. Moses went, because he was angry, because he was upset, because he was frustrated, And because also, on the other hand, he was doing all these miracles that God was doing through him, he just forgot momentarily who is the leader. And so he went, and instead of speaking to the rock, he spoke to Israel, and he told them, he and Aaron were guilty of that. Shall we bring you, you know, he told them, listen, you rebels, shall we bring you water out of the rock? And what do you mean, shall we bring you water out of the rock? Whom do you think you are, Moses? That's what God was telling him. And so he said, you blaspheme me in the sight of Israel. So God never tolerates that from anybody. Either Cain or Moses. Or anybody who calls himself by well, whatever name. And so this reality was from the beginning. When that spirit of Satan enters into the mind of men, instead of serving God, instead of having dominion over his creation in the proper way, not in the wrong way, not to rape the ground, but to dress it and to keep it, they begin to rule over one another. And so we find... What is called the way of Cain. That's what we are addressing here. That's why we go very deeply into that. It's far-reaching. Because here we are laying, in essence, the foundation and the groundwork and the way life is going to be from now on among disobedient children of God. And that's what the rest of the Bible is all about. Bloodshed, hatred, war, uh, wickedness. To this very day we see everywhere. And that's what God is dealing with and he's trying to help him, Cain to understand that and to get out of it and to rule over that spirit. Now you have only very few people on this earth and it's much easier to do it. Later on so many people it was hard. And so it says if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not well verse 7 sin lies at the door and it desires for you but you should rule over it and it's in essence a command resist the devil but he did not. And what was the reality and the consequence to the mind and the way of Cain? It was already a way in him. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel. What was he talking about? In other words, he was not about to repent, to acknowledge his sin and iniquity, to depart from his way. He was not about to resist the devil. He's still angry. And so he's now going to take Cain, that is his brother Abel, into the field, away from their parents, And he's going to show him who is boss. He's going to exercise dominion and authority over not only his faith or his life, you know, his very being, his very existence. And so we read, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And obviously he wasn't talking sweetly to him. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, apart from anybody, no Adam, no Eve, nobody to watch, no sisters, by that time they had many sisters probably, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother. You're going to read the word brother several times. Now, because God is trying to emphasize brother. In other words, one is your master, and all of you are brothers. But you see how he's treating his brother once he allowed the spirit of Satan in, into him. And so it says, and he rose up against his brother. who was not his enemy, it was his brother. And killed him. And that's the ultimate of our attitudes, and that's what God tells us. That even if you hate your brother in your heart, you are already a murderer. You don't have to go all the way to the actual reality of killing him. If you just hate a person, you are already a murderer. And that's why God says, no murderer shall come into my presence, into the city, the holy city in the future, and that's why God would never accept a sacrifice from any one of us. As He made it very plain. When He came to offer me a sacrifice, I don't care how big it is. I don't care how far He had to go to do it. If there is hatred in your heart, toward your brother, you are a murderer, and I am not going to have a relationship with you. Because when you offer a sacrifice to me, you acknowledge that you want to have an intimate relationship with me. But I cannot allow sin in between us. No hatred. No murder. And so Cain killed. His brother, Abel. And all of us have done it many, many times. Not in action, but in feeling. And sometimes in words. You know, words can kill. How many times did we kill people by words? Are we walking in the way of Cain? Yes, we are. To the degree that we do it. Not in the way of Abel. And yet God commanded us. We must rule over it. We must rule over our tongue. We must rule over our emotions and feelings. We must rule over hatred. No matter how bad things were committed against us, we should not allow them to destroy the nature that God is developing in us. We must not allow anybody to destroy the relationship between us and God by hating Him because of what they have done to us. That's why it's best Just to lay it aside, remember that vengeance belongs to God, he will repay, and as for us, we say, Father, forgive him, forgive her, for they don't know what they are doing. In that way we rule over God, over Satan, that is, over the devil, over sin, over ourselves. But Cain killed his brother, Abel. And so the Lord came to Cain. And mind you, even at this point, the first time he said, Why are you angry? When he did not accept his sacrifice, this time he still gives him an opportunity. You know, hope against hope. As far as he went, he's still trying to give him an opportunity to repent. And so he doesn't come to him, you know, with thunders and lightnings and shouting. Now he says, Where is your, not your enemy, not the one you hate, where is your brother? Second time, between verses. Uh, 8 and 11, we're going to see six times the mention of brother. God is making a point here. You see? As he told the king in Deuteronomy 17, when the time comes for Israel and you go to the land and you want to have a king over you, he says that king should write the book of the law and study it and meditate on it day and night. Why? The first reason he gave, which is a very important one, So that is not his heart, that is the second one, actually the first one, that he may fear God all of his life. But the second one, that his heart be not lifted above his brothers. He didn't say above his subjects. You see, when a wrong attitude enters into the mind of man, his brother is no longer his brother, but his subject. And when the wrong attitude enters into the mind of leaders, their brothers are no longer their brothers, they are lay members. And that is a blasphemy. Because God created us in His image and in His likeness. And He didn't create slaves. Men created slaves. But we create slaves because we go into the depth of Satan and we have no respect for them. And so we are not going to call them brothers. Oh, you lay members. Those words should never come into our mouth. We are the servants of God. And if they do, we are not the servants of God We are kidding ourselves. Our words testify against us. And so he tells him, where is your brother? Where is Abel, your brother? And what is his answer? Is he coming to himself? Is he repenting? Does he feel remorse? Or is he still giving in to the depth of Satan and he's not resisting him? So first he says, I don't know. Which is an absolute, deliberate, willful lie because he did know. And then he's rejecting the fact that he was his brother. And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And you see what happens when a person demonizes his own brother in his own mind. Or somebody else. They don't claim them anymore. And yet God says you have responsibility and accountability to your brother. Love your brother as yourself. You see? That's a law. The royal law. And he says, I'm not my brother's keeper. Just somebody later on say, well, who is my who is my neighbor? Who is my friend? Who is my brother? Or well, anybody. That's the answer. Anybody who is in trouble, anybody who is in need, that's your brother. You should take care of them. That's an obligation. So he's rejecting his obligation to his brother. He's divorcing his brother, so to speak. I don't claim him as my brother, so he's not my brother. What should I be uh, about my brother's business? I'm not his keeper. And yet he was. Every one of us is. And he said, what have you done? See, now he's confronting him directly. What have you done? The voice of your brothers Again, brother. You see, your brother's blood. And the word blood is in the plural, uh, not in the singular, in Hebrew. And uh, some man made uh, the remark that he's probably spiritually speaking about the fact that when you kill a man, you did not just kill a man. He killed his descendants. And so there's blood in the, future, in the in the plural. Look at all the human beings that could have come from this man. And when he destroyed one man, as later on in the Talmud, the rabbis uh, perceiving that from that point of view, wrote, that he who kills one, one man is as if he killed the whole world, and he who saves one man, it's as if he saved the whole world. Because one man brings forth many. Like Adam and Eve. Two human beings. And then you have all of humanity that came from them. And so the murder is very, very profound when you think about it from that point of view. You did not only murder one person, you murdered all of his descendants before they had the chance to be born. And so it says, the bloods of your brother in the, in the plural, bloods, as you, know, you can say that, bloods in the, in the plural in English, uh, cri, cries out to me From the ground. So now, you are cursed from the earth. That is, from the ground. Which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. When Adam was punished, his sin was not that great. And so, now he had to work hard. But the ground still did bear abundance of fruit even though it was cursed with thorns and and thistles. you know. But once you get rid of them, you can have a wonderful piece of uh, soil to work with and produce abundance of uh, of crops. You can see the land in this country, in Iowa, places like that. But in the case of Cain, he said, I would personally, wherever you go, will curse the ground. You're going to live in a desert. Wherever you go, it's going to be a deserted place. I'm going to curse the ground. No rain, no dew. Things would not grow. Because of what you have done. You see? That was his profession, a farmer. And now he cannot be a farmer. He cannot bring forth anything out of the ground. So you don't to have to, uh, to live on other things. you know, uh, Things that grow in somebody else's field. So it's going to be a thief. Or uh, kill animals. And so he became a hunter. And so forth. But God added a much greater penalty on him. And so he says, You're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond. You shall be on this earth. That's the kind of life you're going to have. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. My iniquity. In other words, again, no repentance. And you see that way of Cain that entered into the minds of many, that people were done wrong. Instead of admitting their guilt, he says, No, God can never forgive me for doing that. In other words, they don't know God. And the think that God is so evil that He's never going to forgive. And so He's not capable of forgiving. And so He's not going to forgive me. And so the wall and their sorrow, that's the sorrow of this world. Instead of acknowledging, what have I done? Cleanse me and purge me, as David would say, when he had fully realized what he had done. Not that he didn't know what he was doing all along, as he was committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her own husband. But when he fully came to himself, uh, or as Paul would say, when sin revived, I died. And so instead of saying that, he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Again, no repentance. The way of Cain uh, is so deep in him. The depth of Satan is so deep in him, he is not capable of repentance, of remorse. Of turning away, of ruling over sin. He's so weakened by it now. And so he said, surely you have driven me out of this day that has uh, driven me out this day from the face of the ground. It's not that I, by my own inequities, brought it upon myself. He's not blaming God. You drove me out of His ground. He's still complaining to Him. And I shall be hidden from your face. Actually, he's saying, and your face shall be hidden from me. In other words, you are going to hide your face from me. In other words, I'm not going to be able anymore to walk in your divine presence. Therefore, no protection... No blessings, no nothing. So again, he's sort of complaining to God. He's putting the, the blame on God in one way. He says, I shall be hidden from your face. What well, God told him all along, if you do well, you're not. You will be accepted. And he still doesn't get it. Because the deceitfulness of sin, as you read later on in the New Testament, hardens his heart. And he's not capable of that. And that's in essence what happened to Pharaoh also. It's not that only God hardened his heart, but Pharaoh to begin with was of that state of mind like Cain. And even though he knew that God is doing it, instead of acknowledging it and repenting totally and showing it by actions, he walked in that way and that's why it says God hardened his heart. It's now that he had done nothing and God is the one totally responsible. Well, Pharaoh had his share there. And Cain, the same thing here. He's is the father of Pharaoh in spirit. So Cain says to his creator, "Surely, have driven me out of this day. Uh, that is, out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive. Woe is me! In other words, and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone that is in the future, because there uh, are sons, uh, that is, daughters of Eve, and there are going to be sons, uh, are going to be born uh, uh, many children." And uh, somewhere down the road, one of them is going to kill me for what I've done to uh, my brother Abel. He said, it will happen, it is in the future, that anyone who finds me will kill me. And all he's thinking about is about himself. Not his brother. Not about repentance. Not about God. Not what, about what he did to his own parents. Total selfishness. That's a way of Cain. And the Lord, verse 15, say to him, Therefore, in other words, he is going to extend to him a measure of mercy. He's going to protect him. Whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. In other words, now, humanity, the few that are there, and later on more and more, they are going to fully understand my feelings about hatred about exercising dominion and authority, about the end results of that, about murder. Therefore, their sin will be even greater. Just like the sin of Cain was even greater than that of his father, Adam, or his mother, Eve, the sin of those who will come later who should have greater knowledge and understanding now by experience of what happened and the penalty that came upon him will be even more accountable for it. And so he says, those who will kill you shall... In other words, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And in one sense, you might say, the possibility is there that somebody's going to kill him. God is not going to totally protect him. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. But the possibility was still there. In verse 16, Ben Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He left. So to speak, the divine presence of God. The territory where God dwelt. Like in Jerusalem, God says, this is where I set my name. This is where my divine presence would be. In whatever place I I set my name, there will I be. That's going to be a temple. uh, the Shiloh before that, the tabernacle before that. And so, the temple at the time, spiritually speaking, was in the area of the Garden of Eden. God did not uh, reject that place yet. That's the reason why he left the tree of life still there, and the two cherubim that is that set there to protect it, because his divine presence remained there. And he did not forsake that area and that place, which in essence still gives opportunity to those who want to worship God to come back to him. And sure enough, in the third son of Adam and Eve, Seth, we see Seth going to God, having an intimate relationship, and his divine presence was still there for that purpose. And so Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, still unwilling to repent. And yet, he did not know God. That it is not the intent of God that any should perish. You see? No matter what they have done, it is not his intent that any should perish. If they would just repent and turn away. But Cain totally rejected God. And so God totally rejected him. And so he went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. He went away from the area where his parents and his sisters and others were still living. They did not depart from that area. They still had a form of relationship with God, some more, some less. Cain was totally banished from the presence of God. In essence, representing the spirit that was behind him, as later on we would read in Leviticus 16. He, in essence, symbolically is representing now in his actions and his departure and being expelled from the divine presence of God, the second goat that was sent into the wilderness, where nothing grows there, no crops. same spirit the same attitude, and so ultimately the one behind that crime of Cain, that is, Satan himself, will ultimately be banished also into a place where there is nothing there of the presence of God. Total wilderness. And so you see the spiritual analogy there already being recorded long in advance before Leviticus 16 happens later on with the children of Israel. And, the, and obviously, 7,000 years before the ultimate end result of all the deeds and all the evil that sin has committed against all of us. And he too will end up being totally banished from the sight of God into the wilderness. And so, we read in verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and of course we're talking about his sister at that time. That was the only way to, to bear children. Or the law was not put into motion yet. In other words, when God did not make a law, people should not invent a law, or invent a morality, or invent an attitude. He didn't leave it up to us to invent laws. You see. So, if at this point God said, It's okay to marry a sister, it's okay to marry your sister. But when God says it's not okay anymore... Then becomes a moral issue, not because uh, he doesn't feel good, but because God says don't do it. At this point, we should stop. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the worldwide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions, the Bible has answers.